This is episode 122 of the Landscape Photography Show, and on this episode we're talking with photographer Jennifer King. It was my pleasure to talk to Jennifer, somebody who knows the same areas that I go and photograph so often, but also knows so many other places that I need more expertise in going out and photographing as well. Jennifer is somebody who's been a photographer for quite some time, and not only that, but been involved in art and photography for quite some time, even before picking up the camera herself. I was excited to talk to her about both sides of that coin, and also how she approaches photography herself since learning the ins and outs of technology and creativity and those things that we all dabble in and practice as photographers as well. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, we're here with Jennifer King joining us from the beautiful North Carolina today. Jennifer, how are you doing today? And and also thank you for joining us on the podcast. Well, thank you, David. It is so great to be here, and I'm doing awesome today, as always. It's a beautiful morning here, just a little misty rain and perfect weather. <laughs> That's the best kind, really. Honestly, it's my favorite weather to go shoot in. Absolutely. And, you know, over here, pretty close to the mountains and all the waterfalls, it just makes everything come alive. And then, of course, back at home, all the flowers start to bloom. It's just, I love spring. It's just so refreshing. Why don't you get us on the same page? Everybody listening, if they're unfamiliar with you, kind of tell us your story about how you got started in photography and what led you to where you are now. Sounds good. It's actually kind of an interesting story. Um, I started my very first workshop in October of 2012 and learned how to use a camera in 2011. And that doesn't seem like that long ago (laughs) when I think about it. It's not. But I have a background where I directed photography. So I did that for quite some time. About 13 years, I was directing photo shoots um, across the country and in England primarily. So I had a really strong background working with photographers, being a creative director, you know, trying to put a vision together. So um, I really loved that career, but I made a change in 2011 and just took the year off and, and photographed, learned how to use a camera, which as you know, if anyone knows me, they know I'm not a technical person. I come from the art side. So I really struggle with everything, you know, and I remember feeling what's an aperture? What's an f-stop? Why do they call it two different things? Um, you know, all this stuff was very confusing. But in that year, I learned how to use a camera. And then some friends were like, well, let's go to the Smokies and, you know, take me here and take me there. And before I knew it, I started a very small workshop business and I loved it. So I just kept going with it. And that's how I got to where I am today. That's really interesting. And I can't remember if we've had somebody on the podcast before who has a background in art director side. Um, (laughs) Compare and contrast for me what, what that was like versus what actually holding the camera is like. Yeah, you know, I always wanted to be the person behind the camera, honestly, when I was directing. 
but it was interesting. I could, I could, whether it was a still shoot, a, a photo shoot with people, production, B-roll, anything going on, it was really easy and interesting to stand behind the photographer and say, well, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. And I need it to be softer, which was my word for shallow depth of field. Not that I knew what that meant at the time. Um, and it was it was really wonderful. That career was fantastic. And I, I really miss it at times, but at the same time, I can always do a still life at home if I feel the need to do something like that. But being able to work with some of the finest photographers in the world, it wasn't landscape and nature photography, of course, but, but these were really high end, well-known photographers. And I learned so much. It was like the, I had the best photographers for a classroom and I just, the experience was wonderful. The learning was fantastic. I loved being behind a camera, I guess, probably telling people what to do all the time. <laughs> I was a nice bossy person, but um, nonetheless, you know, I was pretty specific too. So I was a little tough to work with in that sense. It had to be exact and perfect, but I think that adds to who I am today in the sense that I really want great experiences for everybody that photographed with me. Now, are you bossing yourself around now like oh, you did back then? You have no idea. I have developed, you know, I, I say it's self-taught um, OCD, I think it's called. You know, mm. I didn't used to be like this, but everything has to be in its place. It has to be perfect. And that just comes from a career of making sure that everything was in the right place for the photo. And it's interesting now because I don't move things to do photography unless I'm challenging myself with an assignment like a still life or macro, and I might be able to move some stuff then. But when I'm out in nature, you know, I'm working with things that exist already and I have to work around that. But I also think having that ability to envision um, something that I had to create or be created by a group of people allows me to move around my scene and really evaluate where I should position myself, the height um, of my tripod or myself, and just the perspective overall. I think that's been a good strength for me. So I'm always encouraging people, you know, move left, move right, go high, go low, move around because, you know, 10 feet to the left can make a really big difference in a, in a landscape photo. That's really interesting. Do you, do you think that skill learned from that stage of your career gave you a leg up in, in kind of figuring out the art side of landscape photography? Because honestly, that what you're talking about is, is one of the most taught things that, that I've experienced out in the field on workshops is not only perspective and, and angles of where you're shooting, but also simplification. What do you remove from the shot? No, it absolutely has had a major impact and I think elevated me to um, move quicker in the industry as far as being able to, to progress over the years um, in just a short amount of time. I think, you know, overall, my biggest challenge was learning the camera and the terminology that came along with the camera. So it's very easy for me to relate to people who may not understand some of the terminology, too. So when I am out in the field, I am teaching people or talking in you know, other presentations, I'm very focused on composition, on you know, terms that they may not necessarily think of, like the hero of the photograph, um, you know, making sure you simplify, making sure you're incorporating patterns and textures and all that stuff. It's very important. I, you know, 
I don't think people should necessarily just walk up to a landscape and start photographing, though we all do it, including myself. But I like to encourage people to take a moment, you know, don't rush to the scene. Take time to look around, see if you can find your artistic approach. And it's not easy for everybody. You know, everybody, I, I've done some research, but everybody is born with creativity. There's a, you know, a lot of research done on that. And of course, as we grow up, we take on responsibilities, our creativity starts to fade. But that that artist is still inside of us. So what can we do to try and tap into that? And that's what I try and help people with all the time. Um, you know, taking deep breaths, thinking outside of the box, you know, don't try and just get the same photo you saw, get the iconic one, of course, but then move away and see how you can simplify, get maybe a, a more intimate landscape or a different perspective, something unique. I'm really interested in this career switch that you had learning the camera, learning the nature side of it. Um, why nature and landscape? Like what did that do for you? Well, interestingly enough, um, I should mention this <laughs> when I was working before anytime I had time off, um, I would say for a couple of years before 2011, I started going out to the grand Tetons with a camera had no idea what I was doing, but I was having fun. And if I had, you know, three or four days, a few times a year, I would just hop on a plane. Um, I would rent a lens. I would be photographing wildlife. Um, you know, I would photograph landscapes and, you know, I come home and they look like snapshots. They were horrible, but I had fun doing it. That was really relaxing for me. So when I made the change in 2011 to leave that position, um, you know, I was just doing some soul searching, I guess, wanted to just get away for a while. And it was like, well, I'm going to go on a trip. I'm going to take my camera. And then it was like, why, why can't I get a good photo with my camera? So I became a little obsessive about it and, and started to learn and started to put it all together. What was the moment when the technical side started to make sense to you? Well, it took a while, I'm not going to lie there. I wish I could say it was immediate, but there was a lot of frustration um, around some of the technical things inside the camera. So I actually went and bought a very expensive high-end camera. I think at the time it was the Canon 1DX Mark II. It was like I had no need or no business to do that at the time. I just needed you know, a simple point and shoot, but I thought the camera would make me better. And that's not the case. Um, it's the artist or the photographer behind the camera that makes the image. So, you know, I learned that and then I started reflecting back on my days, you know, directing. I was like, well, you know, I'm getting awards over here in this industry and I can't get anything over here to look halfway decent. And I would start asking questions of friends, you know, well, why do I have to be on this F-stop and which one should it be for landscape? And I got some generalities from people, you know, it was like, go up to F-16 if you're doing a landscape and go down to 5.6 if you're doing wildlife. And once I understood and started to work within those two extremes, it was easy for me to, I guess, start to understand the camera and the system and how it worked. And then I transitioned over to manual, <laughs> which was, you know, another learning thing. I don't know when I felt like I learned it, um, but I would say that within a year, probably short of a year, I felt really comfortable with that. But I also felt comfortable going around to different locations and having friends join me and starting to show them all the places. So I think that 
more than my technical ability was a place I was when I started doing all this. When you look back to your life, though, and like even your childhood, was the artistic side always stronger than maybe like the technical, mathematical, scientific side? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, I, I was different as a child, as a girl. I was not playing with dolls or anything like that. I played outside all the time. In fact, I, I hear a story that I tried to climb a tree when I was about two years old and <laughs> my parents took me down to the church and said, there's something wrong with this one. <laughs> and then anyway, um, I actually, and funny enough, I went through school. I did fine in school and I started school in, uh, <laughs> in physics <laughs> So that came very natural to me, and it was very easy, those courses. And then I, I switched those courses um, to an art major, um, and that really had to do with a boy I met. <laughs> but it worked, you know. Um, I started taking fine art courses. I was painting. That was a huge influence. I actually didn't do any photo courses, but I did, you know, all the other fine art courses, including art history. So I was studying some of the fine artists from history, and then I was painting. Um, I remember in college, there was a professor, a, a painter um, professor, and he said, I want you to pick one piece of artwork and paint that over and over and over and over again. And I thought, oh, this is getting kind of boring. But then after a while, I understood his approach because I, my subject was a Picasso painting. So I would paint that again and again and again. And over a couple of years, it got really good. And the idea wasn't to copy someone as much as it was to muddle through the technique until you became comfortable with it. And I think that was a really good lesson to learn at the time. You I, still apply that to your photography? I think I did for a long time. And I certainly, I encourage other people to do that as well. You know, I always, I have no problem with people taking a photo of any professional um, photographer, especially myself. And I think some people don't like it, but it's like, if you like a photo and you can duplicate it to a certain degree, you're not claiming it as your own art, but you're using it as a teaching tool. A lot of people do this with Ansel Adams work because they go to the same places and try and get the same shots. But it's a learning thing. Uh, of course, some people like to walk in his footsteps, which I understand. But at the same time, if you can learn how to take a shot in the same way, then you are teaching yourself all the technical stuff that eventually becomes secondhand knowledge. And then you go out and you use those, you know, I guess, subtle reminders that you're not necessarily thinking about with your brain and you apply everything that you're seeing with your eyes and feeling inside. Are there correlations there between physics and art? Well, there probably could be, but you know what? I turned my <laughs> that side of my brain off a long time ago. I have to use a calculator now. It's very strange. <laughs> I know there's, there's theory on left and right brain, and then some people say it, there's nothing to it. I know <laughs> the kind of intelligence I had early on um, when I went to school. And to even think that I did that almost feels like it wasn't myself. I can't even use equipment. As you know, I have technical jinkies and trouble with computers and all kinds of weird stuff. Um, so I do have problem solving skills with technology, which is interesting. But I don't know if any of that carried over for me, but I'm sure it carries over for a lot of people. And what I have found um, over the past almost 10 years now 
of instructing, and you probably have as well, is a lot of people either come from the technical side or they come from the artist side. Very few, you know, have both of those elements going for them at the beginning of photography. So it's easy for me to say, okay, you're on the technical side. You may be struggling with creativity. We're going to work on this. Where people on the creative side, I can work with them and say, well, this is how I learned which aperture I should be using for this photo. And I think it creates a good balance. I'm somewhere just in the middle, I guess. Where did you go to school? I went to uh, University of North Florida. Okay. What's the mascot there? Um, <laughs> it's an egret. <laughs> okay. The mighty egrets. Yeah. I was unfamiliar with that. Um, <laughs> did you grow up in Florida? No, I grew up outside of um, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a little town called Greensburg. And I lived there. And then I went down to Florida and then moved up to North Carolina. I was offered a position, the one I had talked about before, and I came up specifically for that. And then when I left that, I ended up just staying here. It's a great airport to move in and out of. I can travel everywhere. You know, it's funny. You live somewhere because of an airport. Now, that's kind of crazy, right? But I fly out of Greensboro Airport, and it's so small. People actually know me when I go in. Where are you going today? <laughs> you know, you know, and it's kind of fun, but it's very personable. And then I, it's very easy. I just connect in Atlanta, and I end up wherever I end up. I just got back from Death Valley um, after three weeks, which was awesome. But I just love the small town connection here, and then easy access to travel. And so, yeah, I stayed. You talk about um the nature side of it and and mentioning going to the Tetons and just taking your camera out and and having fun what was it about the Tetons do you think that that did it for you well actually i think it was the wildlife more than anything i would um i would follow some of the the wolf watchers up in yellowstone and then i would you know be out looking for bear and elk and you know, any wildlife I could find. It was really that um, more than anything. I remember the, when I started 2011, I was trying to take that landscape photo. I was trying so hard and I was in um, where I was at Schwabacher Landing and I just didn't know how to do it. So that was a really frustrating moment for me. But the wildlife was fun. I, I think that's where I decided that that was the best place to go. And I know it so well. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Did you, how much time did you spend there? We're talking, well, probably a hundred trips or so in a short amount of time. A hundred? At least, yeah. Anytime I get a day or two or three or four off, I would just go. And this was, you know, 2007, 8, 9, 10. And then 2011, I spent a good amount of time there because I was refining my wildlife photo skills, which I still am very passionate about wildlife. I just enjoy watching um, animals and birds. It's, it's just very fulfilling. And then, you know, photographing them as well is very rewarding. Why not stick closer to home? Well, you know, I love home and I do spend a lot of time over here in the Smokies, of course, um, in North Carolina waterfall area. But I just I've spread out so much over the years that I have my locations that I really like to go to and I like to spend time there. And I still do. So I have locations that I go to every year. Death Valley, Iceland, Tuscany, places where I've actually gotten to know the local people 
or the landscape so well that it feels like I'm going home, so to speak, even if it's just for a brief time. Okay. So if anybody has listened to the podcast for an extensive time, they know I love food and I love to talk about it. You saying Tuscany <laughs> really rings a bell. Now uh-huh. I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask you about your culinary experience in death <laughs> Valley. Cause we all know the $21 hot dogs don't do it. Um, <laughs> Tuscany, give me the best meal that that you've had there. Well, I don't think I've ever had a bad one, but I would say, yeah, the best meals I've had are, well, there was a couple places. One, um, the family that owns one of the villas that was in the Gladiator are friends of mine. And so they'll have me and the group over make a five course dinner homemade and we get to sit out and watch outside and it's wonderful. And that food is phenomenal. And on the second hand would be another family that lives near Roma and we get to go to their house and they make food as well. And of course they do the five course meal. They start with the, uh, some kind of liqueur shot, (laughs) you know, you start that bright and early on a weekend on a Saturday and you just dine and eat all these different courses all day long and it's just a wonderful experience and it's not just the food it's the people and the family that come out and add to that i love that culture um but oh i can't wait i'm going there um in may early may it's the first time obviously since the pandemic that i can even get in so i am already hungry and planning my menu for some good cheese some gelato some excellent homemade pasta and all kinds of yummy stuff I'm getting hungry. <laughs> yeah, same. R- write, write for me a review for those $21 hot dogs, though. Oh, my gosh. You know, I know they, <laughs> well, they just opened the ice cream shop this year. So one of the people in my group walked in, he said, I went to the ice cream shop for a hot dog and it was $21. He said, I couldn't do it. On principle, I just couldn't do it. He walked out. <laughs> And I was I was just laughing, but it is kind of ironic that they have built up their prices so much. But what I found really interesting over three weeks' time there, and this is probably just common in places, one day they'd be out of soda, one day they'd be out of beef. We don't have any chicken today, we're out of lettuce. And it was just after that much time, you know, we're all kind of laughing. Um, what are we going to eat? Where are we going to get some food? And sometimes we had to resort to that $21 hot dog <laughs> just to feed ourselves. <laughs> Is this where you thought our conversation would turn to, to no. hot dogs? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> That's what's fun about the podcast. It's you never really know where it's going to go. No. <laughs> um, I was watching a, a video that you had on your website right before we jumped on, and, and one of the first things you said in that kind of stopped me in my tracks because it made me reflect on my own experience as a photographer, the the love of nature. Uh, and you said nature just continues to surprise me no matter how many times that I go out. And and why do you think that is? We, we go out and we see, you know, sunrises and sunsets, small scenes, waterfalls. We know how to shoot in all types of weather. Why is it that it continues to surprise us? I think that we are somewhat in tune with what I would call the magic of nature. I mean, how many people actually get up on a regular basis and watch a sunrise? 
um, or stay out and watch a sunset or stay out and look at the stars at night. So this is something that is a passion that's built within or within so many of us. But it does always surprise me. You know, we can go to the exact same places, but the sunrise isn't always the same. It's rarely duplicated. Um, you know, the old the old terminology, you can't put your river or foot in the river of the same place twice. But that holds true. It's never the same. And it's so wonderful to be out there and see the changes that occur, see the different light that we get, how the light itself can make one morning so magical for 20 minutes. I had that in Death Valley last week, a Saturday windstorm, I guess it was two weeks ago, and a lot of clouds were coming in, but the sun came up for 20 minutes, just 20 minutes, and it lit everything so beautifully, so warm, and still had sand kicking up. And it went away quickly. And I just sat down and let the you know wind blow at me and all this sand for a while. And I just took it all in. But it is such a wonderful thing to be able to separate ourselves from everyday life and say, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to experience things around me that are good, that are positive, that are healing, um, that are inspiring. And certainly nature is that for a lot of people. And I think a lot of people could tune into nature a little more to try and, you know, fulfill themselves even more. It takes me back to a conversation that I actually had with my wife this past winter. And we're just walking down the street in downtown Nashville, um, just being local tourists, I guess, and just freezing bitter cold and windy and she was, of course, miserable. And I just had a big smile on my face. And I was like, I love this so much. And she asked me why. <laughs> and um, I said, the first thing that came to my mind was it just stuff like this just makes me feel alive. Like the the inhospitable feeling conditions, the rain, the wind, the cold, it just makes me feel like I'm experiencing something unique. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It does. No, I react the same way. Um, and I always think if we put cameras or even iPhone cameras in the hands of somebody that wasn't enjoying the moment, they might start to feel a little different. I'm not sure. But I always welcome that. I mean, I love winter. I love being in minus 15 degree temperatures as long as I can get warmed up quickly. Mm. Um, I like laying down on the ice to capture ice bubbles and wind blasting me. I mean, I'm so sandblasted. I actually, my camera died on this last trip. My, my 5D Mark IV that I've had for seven years, and I have just about every model, including the mirrorless, but that is my go-to landscape camera. Had it out in a couple storms, but it wasn't really that that killed it. I think it just really died of usage and old age and abuse um, because it's just, it puts itself, that camera went out with me everywhere that I went out and I put myself in the harshest conditions because we do feel alive. I mean, standing on the rim um, out at Canyonlands and watching lightning go off around you may not be the safest thing, but at the same time, the experience Nature is so powerful. We know this in good ways and in you know ways that aren't so good from tragedies and stuff that happen. But it really is awesome. And just feeling like you're a part of that and not just sitting in my house, so to speak, really, like you said, makes me feel alive, makes me want to be there. But I'm witnessing and hopefully capturing moments for other people that don't have 
maybe the ability to go out and do that or the desire to go out and do it, but they still get to see it. That's where we get to be, you know, storytellers as photographers. I always say we're storytellers, we're artists and we're preservers of time. So a lot of things that we do may have an impact now, but they're also going to have an impact later. And that's really important. Maybe that's it too. Maybe it's because we, while they get to see it, the end result, the photo, we have the story. We, we get to experience. We get to tell them about the conditions, what, what we felt while we were there. Maybe that's the connection. I think so. I think we're storytellers and artists in our hearts and in our souls. And we have to find a way to either create that story or capture it through our lens um, and pass it on to other people. So, yes, I think we are multiple things. We are the storyteller. We are the artist and we do preserve time. I mean, how many places have you photographed that no longer stand? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. it's wild to, to think about. Yeah. Hey guys, just real quick, I want to talk about the podcast sponsor for this week, and that's Zencaster. You know, podcasting remotely can be really challenging. I'm constantly going out and photographing places, but it doesn't have to be challenging, right? Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution makes the process quick and painless, honestly, the way it needs to be, the way it should be. If you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you know I'm obsessed with quality and good guests, and Zencaster provides crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video that I use to record. Not to mention it's easy to use even for my guests that aren't even tech savvy. There's nothing to download, they just click on the link that I send them and off we go recording. Zencaster is about making your podcasting experience easy with everything you need from local recording to automatic post productions and the tool menu. You really don't even have to leave your browser to get one single episode done. So I want you to have the same easy experience as I do for all of my podcasting and content needs. So if you go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and enter the promo code, the landscape photography show, you're going to get 30% off for your first three months. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R.com slash pricing and enter the promo code, the landscape photography show. It's time to start telling your story just talking with with other people um them saying you know you'll, you'll always have time to go back and see that place well yes and no yes in the fact that i could go back to that same spot but no in the fact that it might not look exactly the same I know there are a lot of places I have photographed that are no longer standing. Of course, you know, in the Palouse, so many of the barns and, and things are gone and replaced with uh, metal barns. So it's always sad to see when that happens. Uh, I remember um, the day after I left Bryce Canyon, the Sentinel came down. So we were probably the last group to ever photograph it because it was literally being photographed at sunset. It fell during the night naturally. And then we heard the news like the next day that it had fallen. And I'm thinking, wow, that was such an iconic um, rock formation. But there are so many places like that. And I'm so happy that I'm one that I got to see it, experience it, watch it with my eyes and photograph it with my camera and be able to share it. What does it make you feel when you think about that specific image, knowing that it's not there anymore? 
Yeah, I really am emotionally connected to that moment and that image because I feel like I feel very fortunate that I got to be there and especially one of the last people to capture it. I, you know, our group really was the last group out there. And I thought, how wonderful for all of us that we had the moment to capture its beauty, that we can share it and that we have the story to go with it as well. It's gone, but it, it still lives within me and will forever. Do you think in, in, in all your experience, you know, we, you've talked about the artistic side, the feeling, the expression, um, feeling the conditions and, and being there. It's all based around this idea of inspiration and, and being inspired as a photographer. You, you've had such experience teaching in the field. How do you relay that message to people of inspiration? I think maybe when I'm talking inspiration and enthusiasm and passion comes through because that is just who I am and it's what I feel. And I think when people listen or or near me and we're photographing, they catch up on that. Creativity spreads. I always say that it spreads. So, you know, that's really important to share creativity. It's important to share I hate to say it, but feelings, you know, what are you feeling at the moment that you're photographing? Do you feel happy? Do you feel sad? Do you feel inspired? All of these emotions, you know, come to play when I am behind a camera. And I always am very boisterous and verbal about opening up and saying, let it in. You know, don't be afraid of these feelings. It sounds so corny, right? (laughs) You know, I want to hear Barry Manilow start singing in the background. But um, anyway, it really is important for people, I think, from a growth standpoint and an artist standpoint and photography to just say, what am I feeling right now? Do I feel happy? Do I feel inspired? What is moving me to do this? And if you can ask yourself some basic questions when you're in the field, you might actually be able to tap into what nature is already presenting. And then you can build on that feeling and all that's going on around you, whether it's, you know, a soft wind or, you know, you turn your head and you can hear the wind song. Maybe you put your feet in the sand or you step into the water. Those kind of connections are priceless. Not everybody will be able to, you know, climb a waterfall and that's okay. I, you know, it could be pretty scary. But I will also take my boots off and I will put my feet in the base of a waterfall. I'll sit on a rock. I'll make sure that I'm feeling somewhat connected to nature so that I had that inspiration. And I think that's something that we can all learn from. Just put yourself in the place you're photographing. Do you think that comes from a specific personality type? Maybe so. I'm not really sure where it comes from, David. I know I'm a bit of an oddball, but and I and I'm not ashamed of that. You know, I've grown over time. The older I get, the more I start to do this and the more I put myself out there. So, yes, I'm quite exposed, but I'm okay with that. You know, if my feelings get hurt, so what? If I, you know, stub my toe on a rock, so what? I'll get over it. Um, I think I'm okay with saying everything that I do is going to be a growth process. Everything I do is going to try and help other people feel that inspiration that I'm fortunate enough to be able to tap into. And I'm going to try my best to create stories 
to help other people. And when they see these stories or they feel something from an image that we put out there and they want to go out there and learn it themselves, I, you know, we're just the artist of our time, right? Um, artists have been around for obviously generations, centuries, um, and each one has had an impact on the time that they lived in. And photography is our art form. So we use a technical camera to try and capture what we see and feel with our eyes, as opposed to maybe a painter who is trying to pull all of that either from within or from what they're looking at and their interpretation of it. But I am a strong believer that everybody has an artistic side and they are so happy when they can express it. Even the most technical people. I have so many technical people that come in and work with me and they're like, I, I just can't get past the technical side. But after a few years, they do. And they just, they're so grateful. But you have to be exposed to people from the artistic side, I think, and just say, okay, this is how you do it. Take a deep breath. What do you see? Do you like the shape? Do you like the light? Do you like the texture? You know, and it's just wonderful to see people transpire into a different direction than what they normally came from. I know I certainly did. And if I can do photography, anybody can. <laughs> what you said, artists of our time, that, mm -hmm. that's a really interesting phrase. Uh, uh, for you and your art, your photography, what do you hope to leave behind for, for your impact on our time? I would like to leave behind the idea or the knowledge that everyone can be an artist. You just have to open up and, and find it. So my mission is hopefully the teaching part that everyone can do what I'm doing. We just have to be able to open ourselves up. Will my work transpire? I, I don't know. I mean, my black and white work specifically, I keep that separate from my landscape work. Um, it's, it's a thing I'm able to actually turn on and off. So when I'm out doing landscapes, landscape, nothing's going to be black and white, but when I go out with the intention to do fine art, I go out separately and I keep my mind much more focused on the artistic side, on the inspiration, on my senses, you know, not just physical senses, but cognitive senses, you know, how am I feeling? What's the wind like? Am I cold? You know, all these things, you know, when we're children, we have all of our senses. We're, you know, taught to see, to hear, to touch, you know, don't touch it. It's hot. But then when we get older, you know, we don't think about those things anymore. But we do have the ability to touch sand and say, OK, this is sand is really, really fine. That's really interesting. And then to throw a little bit in the air and see what happens. So when I go out for black and white photography, I'm much different and my approach is very different and heavily influenced by the late Jack Kern as well. Um, friend of mine, we, we had some time actually a few days in Yosemite before a conference and we were scouting and photographing together. And I knew him before that. Um, but he made one comment to me. He said, come over to the dark side. <laughs> that was always his, his phrase because his black and white work was very moody and very dark. And for some reason, I kind of did go over to the dark side. So my approach on fine art isn't to be Jack, but to remember that it's okay to open up your feelings or your moodiness and find your own style. And that's what I have done and will continue to do and try and teach that to other people as well. Is that vulnerable for you? Oh, of course. 
oh, I'm completely vulnerable and open. (laughs) I'm okay with that. You know, I think at a a certain point in time, you know, you're going to hear criticism. You're going to hear comments. People are going to not react well to something, maybe not love a photo you post as much as you do. But then I have to remind myself that fine art photography, that black and white that I'm doing, I may post it, but I'm not doing that for anybody but myself. Do I hope people can learn from that? Of course. Do I hope they're inspired? Of course. But that is really a personal thing. And if if I don't get something I feel good about, then, you know, then I just need to go out there and do it again. That black and white photography, is that your most personal work? It is. Absolutely. Why is that? I think because I am approaching it a little bit differently. Now I do approach landscape with an artistic mind, of course, but because I have an art background, but I'm also trying to capture realism there. When I'm going out to photograph black and white, I'm not capturing realism because I see in color like most people. And I'm really working with the idea of the whole image. It's visualizing what I wanna do and what I wanna capture, not only in front of me, but when I'm processing. So the process is much more involved. The thinking, the feeling, the opening up is much more intense. And it is interesting. So yeah, it's very personal to me. I'll always do it. I'm so grateful to have found that path. But you know, as artists, we're going to continue to change and grow over time. We should never stay still. And I've always encouraged people to try different things to help them find that inner artist. You know, if you like landscapes and, and you're, that's all you do, why don't you try photographing flowers just to see what it does? Because you can learn something from that, even if you don't like flowers or photographing them. Same with people. If you photograph people, go try photographing some metal cars. That kind of... Um, transition or trial and error can teach you a lot, not not only about how you react to subjects, but it teaches you a lot about the technical skills required to do something else. And then you come back to what you love and you learn and you do that even better. I'm interested to hear uh, the story behind why you started and and are so involved with PFABC uh, photographers for the fight against breast cancer. Uh, Where did that start? Well, I started that in 2013, um, but I started that because my sister is a breast cancer survivor. Um, So a very personal connection to a young mother with young children. And so I always wanted to do something. And in 2013, I thought, well, I already have a platform I need to do something. So I reached out to Art Wolf, which I knew and had studied under a little bit and taught me, inspired me a lot. Um, And once he said, yes, I'll donate an item, it was like, okay, let's get the ball rolling. And now we're into coming up on, I guess, what would it be, 10, 10 years, nine or 10 years. I've got, you know, Art's been a part of it, Tony Sweet, Guy Tal, um, Charles Needle, all these amazing photographers are donating items and, you know, of their work, their books, all at their time um, to people who make donations. And then, of course, we have almost the entire photographic industry that donate items as well. So it's a work of passion and love. And it's also, I mean, not just about my sister, but 
I can't tell you how many women since I started this and they know about PFABC that have come up to me and said, I have it or I'm a survivor. And there's so many people every year that I know personally. And I really want to make a difference. I think it's important. It is the one cancer they say we can cure in our lifetime. So let's do it. Let's knock one of them out. Probably one that's extremely sensitive um, to a lot of people out there. It's a hard thing to go through to watch somebody go through, but we can make a difference. Having those survivors come, come and say that to you, share their appreciation. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel connected to the cause. They know I understand what they have gone through um, to a certain degree. They know I've been had a family member that went through it. And it's always a hug, always, every time, even if it's a man who experienced it with his wife. Um, some of the women survive, some of them do not. But I embrace each one of them because it's, you know, maybe on a sad note, we have this understanding of what a hard thing that is to go through. And it really is. It's a terrible thing. Um, but we go through it together. It's a community. And, and we're willing to share. People are so nice in that community. Um, I'm always happy that I can do something. Wish I could do more, but I'll continue to do PFABC. Every single year, I have someone on my team, Mike Walker, who does as much work with it as I do. We just spend hundreds of hours every year trying to raise as much money as we possibly can um, for research, breast cancer research. You know, we, we've talked about your beginning in photography uh, all the way to hot dogs in Death Valley, beautiful food in Tuscany. Uh, and, and we've wound up at this very serious, serious moment about people fighting breast cancer and, and um, showing their appreciation through what you do with PFABC. Um, would you say that that's the most meaningful part about your career as a photographer? I would say yes. I would say absolutely yes. I think a lot of what I do on a yearly basis, on a daily basis, is try and do everything I can to make that an important part of my day. So it is a cause, absolutely. And I think because um, I have an audience, I'm able to get the word out there. I'm able to raise more money for for research. So absolutely. It plays a part in my daily life and always will. Why don't, when we wrap up here, why don't you give people an idea of where they can go to find more out about you uh, and also specifically where they can go to find more out about PFABC to donate, to get more involved with that too? Okay. My website is jenniferkingphoto.com. And on the website, you can also find a link to PFABC. Or you can go directly to pfabc.org to review our yearly fundraiser and get information on that. And if you are a photographer that would like to make a donation in the sense of a gift, that would be wonderful. If you want to become a part of the fundraising team, we always welcome that. If you're able to donate, um, we will put your name into everybody's name goes into a basket, so to speak. And we do these raffles in October at the end of October. And we start to award gifts for anything that was donated in the past year. So we'd love to have, have some help, help spread the word. Let's try and make a difference. 
That's great. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on and, and talking photography with us and, and sharing the good word about what you're doing with photography too. Thank you so much, David. It was good chatting with you. So I want to thank you for listening to the podcast this week. We talked with Jennifer King about so many great things. You know, I always find it interesting for the people who have been involved in the arts and been involved in like photography directing or art directing or creative directors. And then those people who pick up the camera themselves and learn the craft and learn what it takes to be a great photographer. Jennifer is one of those people who have become an amazing photographer and somebody who really knows the ins and outs of now the technology side after learning it for many years. But also she's one of probably the premier photographers in creativity as well. So I hope you learned something from Jennifer and, and were inspired by her as well. I also want to remind you that if you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for a tier that fits your budget to help the podcast continue going week after week. I would really appreciate that. And also the sponsor for this week's episode is Zencaster. It's what I use to create podcasts. If you're interested in creating your own story and podcast, they have all the content needs that you need to create a high quality episode of content, whether it be podcasting or interviews for YouTube or anything like that. You can go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and enter the code, the landscape photography show for 30% off. And I will see you guys next week.